healthy players, this is the Dominion League Weekly Podcast. I am your host, Strumpf, and this is the episode for June 2nd, 2023. This is the wrap-up for season 57. Let's go. Alright, so A. Everything ended up being very close between Fika, Mick, and Triple Range merge. Mick had half a win more than Triple and secured his spot in the championship match against first-time finalist Fika. Fika started out strong in the champs match, taking the first two games, but Mick kept his cool and proceeded to win the rest of the games, crowning himself league champion for the 18th time, adding yet another title to his incredible league career. Congratulations! Mick is going to take a break from League next season, as is VR Smith. Fika, Triple, and Hakha 3 return to A, and Yurika Mama and Jnails will play in B. Last time, we already congratulated Negative on their win in B1. Four-time League champion Tracer finally returns to A Division after nine seasons. Congratulations! Burning Skull wins C1 and earns a promotion to B. Dr. Steelhammer held out in first place of C2. Personman takes the C3 division win off of shot by half a win and will make his debut in B tier next season. And we already congratulated the one and only overterminal Bobby DJ18 on his win in C4. Good job, everyone! We already congratulated Derpa last time. The second promoting player from D1 is Navis Awesome. Zmobi and ZW Lemon held out in first and second place in D2 and earned a promotion to C next season. As did Gamesu and Scumpy in D3. Kubu's promotion was already set in stone last time. The second promoting player in D4 is Will Wong. Congrats! Friend Tony Wilde wins E1! Woohoo! Putje finishes their season with a 70% win rate and is going up to D tier for the first time in their league career. Well done! We already shouted out Esken, Eskoglun, Catstealer419, and Sporting Elijah last time. A Moffat 11 won their tiebreaker in E6 and thus wins the division! And a Libby 1152 successfully defended the top spot in E8 and returns to D next season. Congratulations! Sadly, we have no B or C champs this season, but there will be a D champion to be determined on Sunday. It is going to be either Derba or Kubu. Catstealer419 is our season 57 E champion, and Seltrosa is our season 57 F champion! Which brings us to the results, comments, shoutout segment. So, um, not many, but fun ones. So, there were small games match results from... Juniper v Aimbot. They played 3-1 and Juniper says, and you get a slog, and you get a slog, and you get a slog. Drawing cards, please come back. And then there were match results from F9, where Fool of a Took, 10, uh, tied with Abia, and uh, Fool of a Took said, and to all a good night. And then, oh, that was just funny. Uh, results from G4 where Broosk to uh, Bro OSC played 2 1 against Shocklines. 
And they said, damn, that was tense. And that's it. In small games, JSHS and Aimbot advance from Mustang and Predator advances from Newt alongside one of either DeChaplub or Pokemon Fan1937. Um, that username, JSHS, always trips me up. It's like, it's like JSH in the plural. <laughs> it's not okay. I can't deal. Iguanod and Ginger Bowtie are still leading the rankings in medium games and waiting for the last match to tie up, so we know who will play Iguanod for the title of medium games champion. And in big games, Derpa awaits the winner of the final match to battle for the title with. This last match is Snowbizzy versus yours truly, which is truly a scary prospect. In the hinterlands, the group phase has finished with the top 16 players advancing to the single elimination bracket. Xerix will play the first quarterfinal against either W. Morrison or Snowbizzy. The second quarterfinal will see either Nizala or Cyrusk play against Akuchi or Triple Range March. S. Sounder is in the third quarterfinal up against either Hakhathri or Sharer. And Terracubist plays the fourth quarterfinal against Seltrosa. Good luck, everyone. In German League, there are literally no changes. In the top five, Jens, Tudafman, and Negative remain in fifth, fourth, and third place, respectively. Uexodus is in second, and Snicker 97 is holding out in first place. For my personal weekend games, I resumed competitive play, and so far I'm doing all right. I have not been the big games failure I had expected to be, so that's nice. And I'm much looking forward to League. Also, over Ascension, I met Bienchen, Krebs, Chestic, Ingix, and Namek in Cologne, and we Dominion for three days straight, and it was glorious! So fun to see them all in person! We had equally fun and terrifying kingdoms with some 1E e remnants. We beleaguered the hotel restaurant, took advantage of a weak moment to squat one of their rooms that was super empty after breakfast anyway, but I don't know, they refused to turn on the lights when it got dark. So uh, I guess we were tolerated. <laughs> also, we met to play Dominion, but everyone brought extra games. <laughs> Because we're nerds. Um, my favorite in terms of concept was a Lovecraft edition of Love Letter, aptly named Lovecraft Letter, which is amazing. And then I went back to Berlin and got sick. So, yeah, the preview is um, it's a sad preview because this is the last week of league break and not a whole lot is going on but later today that is 16 UTC Shower and Hakka 3 will play for the Hinterlands to Emix and at 19 UTC Taco will play W. Morrison for a play-in uh, I should know what tier they are playing for. Gotta be C or B. Probably B. And then on Sunday, 
12 UTC, Derpa and Kubu will play the D Championship match. And at 15 UTC, Akuchi will play Triple Range Merge for the Hinterlands 2E mix. And then on Wednesday at 11 UTC, Terra Cubist will play Seltrosa for um, the Hinterlands 2E mix as well. And that's it. So, spec chat where I'll share thoughts on any given piece of media I've consumed over the week that is strictly non-Dominion related. I was ill last week, so I had a lot of time to consume media and think about it, but I also had a fever, so it got a little intense. Um, for the Discord book club meeting on Sunday, we read Ted Chung's short story compilation, Stories of Your Life and Others, and one of those stories is Story of Your Life, which is the text that the movie Arrival is based on. And yeah, since I had time, I wrote a little essay about it. And I'll read that to you now. If you haven't read the story nor seen the movie, be warned, this is all spoilers. And if you don't want to listen to my ramblings, go to this time code to continue with the episode. 1745. Life Arrival of Your Story. Notes. I saw Arrival before I read Story of Your Life. It has been a minute, but I remember being very impressed by the movie, and I remember what fascinated and what outraged me about it. Even though I have only seen it once a while ago, I count it among my favorite movies overall. Hearing from many people that they thought the book <laughs> was better made me very curious, and I had correspondingly high expectations for the story. Also, spoilers! To cut right to the chase, the thing that stuck with me most from the movie was Luis's decision not to tell Gary about the future untimely death of their daughter. I felt it was an incredibly irresponsible and selfish thing to do to someone that loves and trusts you. As in the movie, so in the story, I understand Luis's motivation, and I can appreciate the idea of choosing to consciously live through your experiences, knowing there will be immeasurable pain ahead. It's very powerful to accept that pain in order to experience an equal, if not greater, amount of joy that you wouldn't be able to know if you didn't accept the pain. However, Gary doesn't know this. Gary can prepare himself the way Luis can. Gary doesn't choose to fully live through the joy because he doesn't know there will be unspeakable grief after. And that doesn't even take into account you herself, her life, and her death. Again, it is an incredibly selfish decision on Luis's account. These were my thoughts after seeing the movie. I felt betrayed by Luis, just like Gary felt betrayed. Now in the story, this decision is very much dialed up to 11. Chang spells things out in the largest letters, and so we are witness to Luis's decision to forfeit free will, quote-unquote, in order to be able to know the future. I can't even begin to express how fundamentally I reject this decision. It makes her into a straight antagonist in my eyes. Again, I understand her motivation completely, but set the story in 1925 Germany or wherever a genocide will occur during the following 10 to 20 years and everything falls apart. This is probably the first time that the Holocaust as antithesis to time travel really makes sense to me because the notion of inevitability that was so important to Chang with this story borders on cynicism here. 
He is interested in the relationship between parent and child, the immense love and willingness to bear pain in order to experience bliss. And that is all fine and beautiful and poetic. However, it only works in a vacuum where societal injustices, war, and large-scale tragedies don't matter. The implication that Louise and the other linguists who fully learn Heptapad B and are able to see the future both keep this knowledge to themselves paints a sad and involuntarily cynical picture of humanity. Everything revolves around Louise and her choice, but nobody else involved in her life knows they even have a choice. Having this new knowledge and power means she has a responsibility for the people in her life who do not have that power. There is a difference between preparing for different scenarios and knowing exactly what is going to happen. There is a difference between consciously choosing pain in order to experience joy and trying to make sense of loss by cherishing the joy you've experienced before. This brings me to the problem I think most people who know the story have with the movie, the alien's purpose and Louis saving the world. I understand that criticism, it does seem like a typical movie storytelling device that hinges on the edge of cheapness, although I wouldn't say it crosses over. What I prefer about it over the original story is that the aliens have a purpose. In the story, they're just a tool to set up the basic premise of the story. If you could see the future, what would you do? It makes the story even more about Luisa's decision, her selfishness, her recklessness. I think it was the correct decision for the movie to shift that focus away and make her actually take responsibility for the future of her planet, while nonetheless shirking it with regard to her personal life. Actually, the movie does Louise some justice, in that it shows that she actually does prevent the Holocaust, quote-unquote, while simultaneously failing to show you grace when it comes to her personal life experience. This is a much more nuanced and interesting take on the premise of the story in my opinion. Is the story deviation in the movie done elegantly? Not really. I like that we got a little bit of an outside perspective with the radicalization of parts of society that leads to the attack on the spaceship. The solution to the conflict felt anticlimactic, but it didn't hurt the movie in my opinion. Luis's ability to see the future was a necessary result of having to learn the Heptapods language who want to help themselves by sharing their powers with humans. The focus is the Heptapod's purpose, and Luis's decision to conceive a child with Gary knowing that it would die at a young age is a side effect. Conversely, in the story, the Heptapods literally have no purpose. They arrive, some humans learn one of their languages, they disappear. This is an extremely dissatisfying setup to the story's core question. And I can sympathize with the cheekiness of introducing aliens that for once don't seek to destroy humanity, but turning them into a fancy MacGuffin massively weakens the whole story. I did enjoy the story of Yu's life that we get in this story. For the reasons outlined above, it is given a lot more space, and Yu also dies at an older age than she does in the movie. The story is beautifully written, save the seemingly inevitable Chang science tech overkill. <laughs> Even though I fundamentally disagree with the story presented, I appreciated the poetry of the framing scene a lot. Except for the, now I'm going to spell out exactly what this is all about part, I loved how the different times and memories of the past, present, and future were interwoven. Mostly, 
I see the potential in the story, and I wish it would have gone further to ask more interesting questions. Chang presents it as a dichotomy. Either you perform your life and know the future, or you keep quote-unquote free will. These things are presented as mutually exclusive, and we are to assume that the heptapods as a species chose to see the future over having free will too. I think it would be more interesting to explore what would happen if everyone had the ability to choose between these options, but some people would offer free will instead of a cynical performance of their perceived inevitable future. What if Gary had the same knowledge as Louise and decided against having a child with her? Of course, the story's concept falls apart at this point. Regarding the movie, I think the science parts worked much better in this media. And I love the visualization of the heptapods writing. It's so good. Of course, Amy Adams is a great actor who gave her character the necessary depth. Since it is not explicitly spelled out that she chooses inevitability over free will, her decision to follow the path ahead of her seems more collateral, less conscious, which still makes it frustrating to me, but doesn't turn her into an outright villain. In sum, I am aware that neither the story nor the movie are meant to be scrutinized as thoroughly as I have above. Nevertheless, for an author who seems to devote so much care to the problems outlined in his fiction and is so fascinated by science, the scientific aspects of this particular story are reduced to a fancy yet meaningless veneer. He turns his main character into a villain and doesn't even seem to realize it. There is beauty in the writing, but it doesn't succeed to reconcile the flaws in the story presented. And now I've got a little snippet from my conversation with Donalex for the advent calendar for you that did not make it into the doors. This one is about bribe. And so then we have this card bribe. So I had the idea of the heirlooms and I was trying different things for heirlooms. And one heirloom I tried was... uh, this. It's a treasure with a coin. When another player plays an attack card, you may first reveal this from your hand to be unaffected by the attack and have that player gain this. So it's a moat that only works once and then they've got the moat. Uh, and uh, So it moves around between our decks. And you could, you could at some points have the deck with all the bribes or none of them. And that seemed fun. And it's this good flavor of like you know, you pay them off to not be hit by the attack. And it was a good fit for an heirloom because it's bad, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But as an heirloom, well, you just started with it, and now our decks have these heirlooms. And so we'll probably do it, right? If they attack you, if it's a meaningful attack, you'll be like, no, take the bribe. 11 minutes later... And that is what happened with Tormentor. And also in there somewhere, now all these versions of Tormentor say Doom on them. You know, Hexes didn't initially say Doom, but all of these do. And there you have it. (laughs) I am so fascinated by Bribe right now. I'm so sad this is not a thing. I mean, there's like obviously reasons, but... I mean, we gave it a good chance, right? Here's five versions of it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. it sounded fun to have it be. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's very flavorful, which not which Nocturne was all about, right? So it's yes. it's it's this very flavorful. You're stopping the attack by giving them something, and maybe there's even a good way to do it. 
And heirlooms were definitely the place to try it, again, because you didn't have to buy the card. We just gave it to you. So an heirloom could actually be bad, you know, and this was somewhat tried. Uh, and uh, in the end, it was best if the heirlooms were a lot like copper with a bonus. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it didn't need to be a card you'd ever want to buy. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, nevertheless, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly what went down, but uh, as you can see, I mean, it got a lot of chances, which is a good sign that we didn't, you know, we didn't blow it there and just give up on bribe when it was great. And obviously, you know, until, you know, <laughs> as far as we can see, there's still a chance for a bribe in the future, but uh, with uh, it, it's it's tricky because probably I never revisit heirlooms because there are seven and seven coppers. Uh, ah, true. true but true. Uh, there's ways you could do it anyway. I mean, you could have a card that that came with bribe and tried to be good enough that it was worth it, you know, and wasn't done like an heirloom. But it didn't work in Nocturne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I can still hope. Yeah. <laughs> for the future well sometimes it takes years as we've seen with some of these that is that is very fine with me i have <laughs> years <laughs> <laughs> all right tragic hero and this is it for the regular episode. I'll be shouting out all promoting players from F to I tiers now. So if that's not interesting to you, thanks for listening until this point and see you next time. Send me your questions for Steph. Bye-bye. All right, we will start with I tier and move our way up. So congratulations go out to Shorty Sacks and Northcut. Brad Triple Nine and Juniper, a good brand and a Harrow Twenty One, the Educator and M Chaikin, Hakatsin and Baby Dino, Isaac and Evie, Sudoku Lover Four Twenty and Isaiah W One, Zbacher and Nineteen Michaela AP, Teacups and Big Money Strikes Again, Smithy Nine Eight Seven and Dopamine. Mark VC and JMC GNH, Nerilika and FS Wolf, Goody Two Shoes and Zappy T, Rock Thrower and Jared S. Martin, Jugetsu and Hammerson 66, and Sian and PHM, Titan 121A and Svibaka, Che Dark Rider and Mega Mom 2, and Pinda Power and DS579. Then, promoting from H2 G tier R, Press987, PB Arson, Undead OO, Churs, Registered Pigeon, Jolene, DW Van Stone, KD5 MDK, Brody Rules, Rezd1, Aimbot, Roger Crohan, Medrone5, Catalia, Fried Chicken 24, Stu, The Fearful, Ipares, Purple Tus, and yeah, that's that's all of them. Well done, congratulations to all of you.
And promoting from G to F tier R S draw K C A B <laughs> and two shooter Spectre Sean J Reggie H Mac attacks and Crunch Rap Supreme Prairie Patch and Nietzella Bobo McBob and TB Carson Cowering Cow and Cheap Plastic Crab Ramius twelve twelve and Bio Alex. Killer Tomatoes and Quiglet, Angry Tetris and Alex Smith Backwards, Specialty and Pokemon Fan 1937, Iguanaut and Icaw, PWU55 and Fifi35410, Malta and Noise Now 42, and GZ and Freti. Well done! And finally, promoting from F to E tier R, Gubump. Dutchie for Life, Ninton David, Kartik, Math Raccoon 51, Kuf, The Man 0613, Kehebo, Sasha 206, Yorike, Tortuga 1, shout out, Diplomat, Saltrosa, yay, and Scissorpaw. Congratulations, everyone. Well done, and good luck next season. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. You can find me on Discord for feedback. I am at Strumpf and I'll catch you all next time. The game has ended. Bye!